wonderful to be with you today. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. And I am so excited about the Summer of Connection that we are kicking off next week. I'm very, very excited. We did this last summer. We're trying it again this summer. It was so fun to have everybody together. We do a couple of family Sundays, and, and it's just like, it, it's wonderful. So what it means primarily is that next week, starting next week on July 1, these services are going to be combined on a Sunday morning for one 10 a.m. service. So what time does the service start next week? 10 a.m. That's right. It starts at 10. It'll be like that all summer long through Labor Day. So, uh, and I, I just say that because, you know, the 11 o'clock, you guys, you have to know, you are so near and dear to my heart. Um, but, I, but I know that some of you uh, show up at the 11 o'clock service at 1140. And that's, that's beautiful. That's great. And we love you. But it's going to really be tough if you show up next week. At that. So just come at 1040. Uh, just kind of, you know, have, no, 10 o'clock, please. 10 o'clock. And it'll be so fun to be together. Together. And one of the things that we, we reckon with sort of every single summer, I've been at Overlake for 14 years, every summer it's been a little bit like this. It's always a bit of a challenge for us as a church financially. And, and it makes sense because there's, uh, you know, people are like, you know, in and out. The weather's good. Everyone's, you know, kind of you know, thinking about what does it mean for me to be on this journey uh, as a, a part of Overlake. And so we understand that, like, like we actually recognize that. However, you might have seen this blurb in the handout and you recognize that this year it's actually going to be especially difficult because we're already a little bit behind as we're heading in to summer. And, and what all this means is that, and you might have already seen the title of today's message, Financial Faithfulness, what it all means is, as your pastor who loves you, there is a question that I have to ask you today. I have to ask you personally to, to wrestle with this question today, and, and it's, it's a question that's powerful, and it's compelling, and it's a question that gets right at the heart of this issue. And just so you know, before we even get into it, I know the idea of talking about financial faithfulness as a part of your faith journey. Some of you immediately begin to feel guilty. You immediately begin to feel burdened. And I want you to understand that by talking about this clearly, our heart is, my prayer is, that we would actually remove guilt and we would remove the burden and recognize that, no, we all can breathe joyfully in our participation with what it is that God is calling us to participate in. So financial faithfulness, I got to ask you a question, but before I do, let's just start by talking about how God set this whole thing up to begin with. Like it has always been a part of the connection between God and humans, humans worshiping God, that we would come offering God the best and the first of what it is that he has provided for us. If you just open up the very first book in the Bible, Genesis, you thumb through just a couple of chapters, chapter four, the very, very beginning, we see the first expression of people wanting to worship God by bringing the first and the best to God. And that's just how it happened. That's just how it began as a way that we expressed to God, God, we think you're first and we think you're best. And so we're going to come and we're going to offer you our first and our best. As you keep on reading through the scripture, you see that God is the one who initiated this idea with his people, the Israelites. He gave them the law through Moses and he initiated the idea of the tithe. Now, you might just want to write somewhere in your notes, tithe just means 10%. How much is tithe? Tithe is 10%. So that's kind of easy. It's straightforward. 
And the idea that God set this up with is he wanted people to understand what it is that they could bring as first and best as a way to worship him. So that he's, he's saying, hey, here's how you do it. You bring your first and best. You bring the 10% and you bring it to me in the tabernacle, in the temple. And that will be the way that you worship and express your worship to me. But not only that, there's a practical reality for it in ancient Israel, something that we don't think about too often. If you think about all of the tribes of Israel coming into the promised land, every single tribe had territory. Every single tribe had property, and they had an income stream, and they had an inheritance. That was true for every tribe except the Levites. And the Levites were the priests. The Levites were the ones that God had designated to be in charge of the ministry of the tabernacle, the ministry of the temple, to the Lord. And so the practical way that the tithe worked out is that the other tribes would bring their tithe to the priests in the ministry to the Lord. It was a way they worshiped the Lord and provided uh, sustenance and provision and inheritance for the Levites who had no land, who had no inheritance. So does that all make sense? It was, it was practical and it was worshipful and it was the way that God designed for his people to worship him. And it was, it was true in times when everybody was doing well financially and it was true in times when, when people weren't doing well financially. In fact, maybe that's where you are. You're feeling really tight right now financially. You're saying, Pastor, this feels really difficult for me. I feel like I'm having an out of money experience right now. And, and so you just, you know, you're kind of wrestling Here's the thing, ancient Israel was in seasons like that as well. So I put this prayer, this psalm on your outline to start. This was one of the songs that the Israelites would sing after the exile when they were returning to Israel, they were returning to the worship. As they were coming up to, into the city of Jerusalem, they would sing these words. Look at this. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. So, so it was just a prayer, and it was a heartfelt song, maybe even a lament, as they came to the temple in Jerusalem to offer God their sacrifice, to offer God their worship and their tithe. They would, even as they were worshiping by giving to the Lord, sing, Lord, would you restore our fortunes? Would you renew our good fortunes like streams in the desert? And so this recognition that, it, it, it sort of, again, I'm just going to drop some truths on you in this. It's a recognition that God takes this aspect of our followership seriously. That God takes it seriously, and, he, and, and he's the one who established it, and he's the one who is on this journey with us, and he's the one who's providing everything for us, including the air we breathe, including all the things we eat, and the shelter we have. Like, all of this is a provision from God, a blessing from God. So he takes it seriously that we would offer some, the first and the best, back to him. My daughter, Alex, just graduated from high school on Monday. So it's just kind of that, that season right now. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, but she thanks you as well. Uh, but uh, the, the idea is that when you go through a graduation, you start to get a little emotional and you start to get reflective about different seasons of life. And we had a bunch of family in, so we were telling Alex stories uh, over the course of the weekend. And one of the stories um, th that I remember and, and was thinking about was, when she was about three years old, 
I, I, this happened more than one time, that, that we'd be driving around, maybe it'd be about lunchtime or you know, sometime in the afternoon, and she'd get a little hungry. And so I'd say, well, hey, baby, you, you, let's get some food. What would you like to eat? And she would say, a little three-year-old voice, she'd say, French fries. Like, she just loved French fries because she's a good American. And, and so, you know, she's like, okay, all right, great. And, and I don't know all that much about nutrition, but she seemed like a pretty active little girl. And so, you know, and I'm a, I'm a dad who just in general obeys his daughter. So I was like, okay, let's go get French fries. And we'll go through the drive-thru, order up the fries. And then I would hand the fries back to her in the, in the back seat in her car seat. I would hand the fries back to her, and the fries would pass kind of right by my nose and just smell so delicious. And I'd get a little, you know, grease and salt on my fingers, and it would taste so, oh, so good. And as I drove away, my stomach would start to rumble just a little bit. And, and so I would say, just kind of talking in the rear view, hey, hey, sweetheart, can, dad, can daddy have a fry? And she would say, no. I said, oh, baby, I just, I just want one French fry. No. So, oh, sweetheart, you know, I, I just got those for you, and it's probably a lot for you. Let me just have a couple of fries. That's not a good idea, she would say. <laughs> now, now, listen, don't get me wrong. She, she would not be opposed to wasting fries. She would, she would drop some, you know, on the floor all the time. There would always be some underneath the car seat. She would feed them to her toothless little brother at the time. She might even shove one or two up her nose just for fun. Like, she was not opposed to wasting fries. It's just that she didn't want to share with her dad. Now, to me, I, I always feel like this. I was like, baby, do, do you realize that I am the one who provided those fries for you? Like, I provided all of those fries for you. If it wasn't for me, you have no fries. Like, like, like that is, it, it, I created these things, you know, out of my largesse for you because I love you and I'm obedient to you. And so, look here, I just want a few fries. And, and, and you laugh at that and it's ridiculous, but friends, we don't dare treat God like that. We don't dare. Can you think about how ridiculously dumb of an idea it would be for us to approach the Lord of the universe who holds all things at his fingertips, who provides the air in your lungs right now, who holds the molecules of your body together to approach him and force him to beg you for some scraps from your table. Silly, right? Like they, we would never just lay it out there like that, but yet we live as if that's the reality. So that's the first thing we have to see is that God takes this aspect of our followership seriously. The next thing that we see is when we fail to honor God with our giving, he views it as a form of theft. When we fail to take it seriously in terms of our financial faithfulness, God says, that feels like you're stealing from me. And these are harsh words. They're hard words. They're difficult to read and grapple with. But this is what it says in the Old Testament. Again, this is under the framework of the Old Testament law. In Malachi, God is speaking, and he says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me, he says. But you ask, how do we rob you? God answers in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Then God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. I'd love for you to circle the phrase whole tithe. Bring the whole tithe. Again, how much is it? A tithe is 10%. So whole tithe would be the full 10%. Bring that into the storehouse that there may be food 
And when you read that passage, even you look at it right now, this is like really kind of blunt. This is more confrontational than we like to be as Americans, right? This is more like, he, what, is, what does God do? He's calling out the nation of Israel. And it's not even that they might disagree with him. It just feels uncomfortable to be called out. I don't know if you've ever been late to a meeting before and, and you, you show up late, maybe you're like eight minutes late, 10 minutes late, and, and the person who's running the meeting, maybe it's a teacher or maybe it's your boss, maybe it's a business associate, they just take a moment and they say, well, we're glad you decided to join us today. And then they say, I hope you know that you are eight minutes late, and so you wasted eight minutes of my time. That's eight minutes of my life now gone, thanks to you. But it's not just me, they say. It's each and every person here who also had to wait on you. So that's collectively 160 minutes of our time we will never get back. And the whole time you're taking your Starbucks cup and just trying to hide it behind your bag, you know because that's what made you later, whatever. And, and it's not even that you would disagree with that statement. You simply recognize, yes, I, I didn't honor your time, and, and, I, and I'm sorry about that. But, but what's so uncomfortable is you feel so called out in that moment. And that seems to be what God's doing to Israel right here. He's just calling them out. He's saying, look, we talked about this. This is a part of what followership looks like. And, and yet, God says, it feels like you are robbing me. It feels like there is no followership in this regard by not bringing the whole tithe, he says, into the storehouse. And so it's a question that I just want to ask us as a church is, is how are we doing in this regard? And so I ask our finance office, hey, could you just give me a ballpark estimate? How many folks at Overlake do you feel like are coming in at this level? And, and uh, I just want you to know, I don't know what people make and I don't know what people give. That's not the part of a pastoral leadership I want to be about. But my finance office, they can go in and they look at sort of what are salary norms on the east side and, and what is it that, that folks are given and kind of calculating. Yeah, this looks like a, about like a tie. So it's all just ballpark. But out of 4,000 plus people who call Overlake Christian Church their church home, about 300 are, are tithing. 4,000 folks calling church home, about 3,000. Again, it's, it's a rough guess, give or take, are tithing. And so there's some ramifications to this. And this means that I have to ask you a question, and it's a question that's compelling, and it's a question that's challenging, a question that gets right at the heart of this issue. But before I ask this question, I want to take a look at how Jesus viewed giving to the Lord. Because some people argue that the tithe was a construct of the Old Testament, and it was a part of the law, and because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, he sets us free from the law. And I absolutely agree with that theology. So it's important for us to understand, well, what is it that Jesus is in fact doing as he sets us free from the law and the burden? And the idea is the Old Testament legislated morality. But in Jesus, he's going after a heart obedience. And every time we see Jesus approach the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, what he's always doing is upping the ante. And you might remember some of his teaching. He, he says things like, hey, you've heard it said. In the Old Testament, it says, thou shalt not murder, but in me you're free. So I say to you, murder just a few people. No, of course not, right? 
Some of you just woke up. You're like, what? No, did Jesus say it? No, no, he didn't. No, he says, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. But I say to you, beware the murder in your heart. We're going after a heart obedience here. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. He says, but in me, you're free. So I say to you, only adult with a few people. No, he doesn't say that. He says, no, you're free in me. Therefore, I tell you, beware of the lust in your heart and proceed pursuing purity of heart. He's always upping the ante. He's always going in for more. That's how Jesus goes after this. And he actually does talk about tithe. He affirms the tithe. He says, yeah, that's a great place. But he talks about it as a starting line, not a finish line. Jesus talks about the tithe as the beginning of obedience, not the culmination of it. And there's this one passage, we'll look at it in, in just a second, but he's addressing the Pharisees and the, the religious teachers, the religious leaders. He's talking to them about how they do this because what they were doing is viewing the tithe as the finish line, as the top, kind of the, the culmination of their obedience to, to, to God. And, and Jesus said, no, that's not the culmination. That's just the groundwork. And Jesus calls them hypocrites, which has never been a term of endearment. And so let's jump in on this. Let's take a look. He says, as he's talking to these Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. In other words, they were so meticulous about the tithe that, that if they had a little sage bush, they would count how many leaves of sage they had, and they would take off 10% of those leaves, and they would bring the, that many leaves to the temple. They, they were that um, particular about making sure that they hit the tithe exactly, right? That's how sincere they were in this ritualistic obedience. But he goes on, he says, he says, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You might want to circle those. There are more important aspects than this minutia of obedience. He says, you should tithe. Yes, he affirms it. You should tithe. Yeah. But do not neglect the more important things. And so we see justice and mercy and faith. And at Overlake, you know, we, we go hard after these. We seek to get these things right. And yes, we should tithe. But the framework is that it's the baseline, not the finish line. In fact, we talked not too long ago about how Jesus advocated always going the second mile. When you're forced to go one mile, he says, you offer two. In other words, when somebody wants something from you, you give them more. He advocates giving 100% more than that which is required. And yes, he says, you are free in me, but it's free to go higher. It's free to be fearless. It's free to live generous. And if you want to think, well, how did the first Christians, how did the first Jesus followers understand these kind of teachings from Jesus? You just have to open up the book of Acts, to Acts chapter 2 or Acts chapter 4, and you will see that they were so fearless and they were so free in Jesus that they sold everything they had and they gave everything away and they shared everything so that no one was in need. Why? Because they were living free and fearless in Jesus Christ. And we're not even talking about that kind of radical obedience. We're just talking about the freedom we have to be financially faithful. So I, I have a question I have to ask you. But before I ask it, I have to brag about Overlake for just a moment. 
Because maybe Overlake, you don't know sort of who you are. You're a part of this Overlake uh, Christian church, this expression of God locally, but you might not know who you are. So I have to tell you, you are a beautiful and vibrant expression of God's kingdom in this local church. This is an amazing journey for me as a pastor to be on with you, to see how it is that you are impacting the world around you. And it's not just that 4,000 plus people uh, call it home in this region, but many, many more are watching online. We've got groups that gather to, to, to participate in Overlake in China and in Texas and in Salem, Oregon. Like it's a, it's a beautiful thing and, and all over the world. And not only that, but we've got um, you know, the ministries that we've built, like our daycare and our preschool, are catering to those on the lower end of the income spectrum. And, and we've built ministries like safe parking and special delivery to care for those who are experiencing seasons of being unhoused and homeless. And, and, and it could go on and on. Our children's ministries are amazing. Our student ministries are amazing. Prayer ministry, uh, you know, support ministries, uh, grief, uh, divorce care. Like, it just goes on and on and on. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but there are 37 different missionary partners that we support all around the globe. It's an amazing thing what, what our partners are doing all around, from China to Chile, from uh, South Africa to Afghanistan, and just to see the, the powerful expression of love and God's kingdoms happening all around the world. It's amazing. And by the way, you need to know this, that because we host conferences and concerts here at, at this local facility, that this, this building that we're in right now, this building pretty much pays its own mortgage. So the giving of the people to Overlake and to the ministry and mission of Overlake, it goes right out to ministry and mission. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I, I, have, I have to ask this question, but before I ask it, I also want you to know that you, as you look around this room, as you think about who you're walking with in the hallway and parking with in the parking lot, you need to understand that you are surrounded by brothers and sisters in an incredibly diverse family. Overlake, you hail from over 32 different countries. You speak over 50 different primary languages. Friends, you are looking more and more and more like what heaven looks like. And we press into that. We celebrate that diversity because each and every one of you show us a beautiful new picture as to what our heavenly father looks like. You are all made in his glorious image. Yeah, so I just love you. I love what God's doing. And so I have to ask you this question, but before I do, I need to tell you this story. When I was just starting out in, in ministry, this was back in like 94, 95, and I was a youth pastor in Southern California. And one of the things we would do with our, with our youth group is we would have these events. We'd take them to a concert or we'd do some kind of, you know, late night paintballing, something like that. And then after the event was over, we would often go to Denny's and, and just have like a late night dessert, just kind of wrap this stuff up. This was back in the day before you needed a permission slip to tie your shoes. And so it really didn't matter. We just piled kids in the sponsor's cars and we all just went to Denny's. It'd be like 1 a.m. We'd show up at Denny's and it'd be about 50 of us there and, and it was so funny because we'd show up and the management would like freak and they would just immediately shuttle us to some back room somewhere, right? they just get us out of sight. And I was always cracking up because it's the middle of the night and I'm like, oh here, the drug addicts are here, the vampires are here, but the youth group, you guys got to get in the back, you know. <laughs> you freak us out, you know, that kind of thing. 
So we'd be back there, and everybody would have a good time. Everyone would order. They'd get their, you know, dessert, their burgers, whatever. And then the waitress, because it's just so chaotic, the waiter, the waitress would come bringing one bill, and they'd look for the most responsible-looking person in the room. They'd bring it to me. And they'd say, okay, here's the bill. And so I'd all right, everybody, you know, pony up. Let's go. And so everybody would throw their money in, and I'd count the money, and I'd look at the bill. And somehow we'd be $77 short on a $92 bill. And the first time that happened, I just, I thought, oh, you're adorable, you know. Look at you little students. Oh, you don't get it. I'll just pay because I'm the leader. Leaders go first. I'll just take, I'll just take it. I'll take the hit. No problem. And, and so that was that. And then the second time it happened, same kind of a thing. I didn't think it was quite as adorable. I started to get a little annoyed in my heart. I started to get a little frustrated. Uh, but I still, I paid, I, you know, leadership, I'll just do this. And, and then the third time it happened, I almost lost my salvation. <laughs> I was like, all right, friends, we've got to address this issue. Shut the door. Let's talk about it. This is what we need to cover. If you bought a burger, you got to pay for the burger and add some tip in there. We don't want to be chintzy. You know, so we talk about all this stuff, and everybody, if you are receiving, you've got to participate. And we just go through this whole thing, and, and you might just sit there. You might be judging me. You say, Mike, it took you three times to have that conversation. And I know I, I judge myself a little bit, too, because it's not good leadership to just pick up the slack for someone else's laziness. It's not. It's not good for me to just let students rest in their immaturity. That's not good leadership. That's not good shepherding, pastoring. And it's not good for someone to take undue burden while others carry none of it. And yet that's where we are, are we not? In other words, the lesson I want you to get from this story is quite simply this. Everybody needs to do their part at Denny's and in the kingdom of God. <laughs> Everybody needs to do their part at Denny's and in the kingdom of God. Why would it be true in Denny's and not in the church? doesn't even make any sense. So please understand what we talk about today is that God takes this aspect of our followership seriously. And he says, when you're not tithing, it's as if you are robbing from me. You're, you're stealing from me. And everybody needs to do their part at Denny's and in the kingdom of God. And, and if you're here and you are a Jesus follower, if you've been following Jesus, you, you love Jesus, you believe in Jesus, you're, you're walking with Jesus. If you're here and you're a Jesus follower, I can't imagine anything we've covered that you disagree with. Now, you... You might have a tough time personally living it out. You, you might have financial challenges, so it's difficult for you. But, but if you're a Jesus follower, we've talked about nothing controversial. It absolutely makes sense. In fact, even if you're not a Jesus follower, it's intuitively true, is it not? That what we receive, we also contribute to. If we, if we come alive, we want to participate and carry and shoulder and serve and give. Like, this is how it works. And so understand that that covering all of these things, it, it brings me to this place where I have a question for you. It's a compelling question. It's a challenging question. It's personal. And yet it gets at the very, very heart of this issue. So here's the question. It'll be on the screen. If everybody gave the way I give, how would God's mission be funded? Think about how you give right now. How you approach giving in financial faithfulness. Let me ask it another way. If the whole church gave to OCC the way I give, how would God's church 
be operating. Makes it personal, doesn't it? It puts it right on our lap. You know, it's easy when we think someone else will take care of it. Friends, we are the someone else. We are God's church. See, I want you to know from a leadership perspective, Overlake Christian Church operates on incredibly sound stewardship principles and has, has done so ever since I've been the lead pastor here. It's just been a commitment that we take stewardship seriously. And so how we approach things in ministry is we pull things off uh, by paying pennies on the dollar, that we go after the most frugal and creative ways to accomplish the ministry tasks that we feel God is calling us to and have done for the last decade plus. And we recognize that because of that, our books are absolutely open. If you've got a question about anything, you come and you set a, a time with Liz or Dan and you say, hey, i got a question about how uh, finance operates. It's open. It's transparent. We have nothing to hide. And not only that, but we have an outside auditor that comes in every single year. Totally other organization and our audits come back glowing. Why? Because we believe in great stewardship. And so here's what you need to know if you're a part of this thing called Overlake Christian Church. You need to know that Overlake does not have a financial problem. What we have is a faithfulness problem. We do not have a financial problem. We've got a worship problem. We've got a trusting Jesus problem. We've got a fear problem. And the reason why I can say this very clearly, I know we don't have a financial problem because if we all, if all the families at Overlay Christian Church started tithing today, we would triple, quadruple our budget by the end of the year. It's not a money problem. It's a faithfulness problem. And so that's why we're talking about this today. And what I want you to do is I, wanna, I actually want to take you through an exercise right now mentally. I want you to think right now, and just ballpark figures, don't get, don't get minutiae, just don't get lost in the details, ballpark. I want you to think right now about how much your family makes. How much income do you have a year? Just think about that ballpark. And then I want you to do, well, what is a tithe of that? Okay? And again, real simple. If you make 25 grand a year, then a tithe would be $2,500. If you make 50 grand, then a tithe would be $5,000. If you make 100 grand, then a tithe would be $10,000. This is about the only math you'll ever hear me talk about. I can pull this off. So just think about that. Now, think about what that number is, that tithe number, and then ask yourself, how much do I give to Jesus? Maybe for you it works best just thinking about one month. Think about the last month, month of May. How much do you make? Most of us know how much we make in a month. How much do we make? And then what's a tithe of that? And then how much did Jesus get? See, I want you to do this exercise. I want you to have a number in your mind. I want you to have a percentage in your mind because these questions, I want you to write something down. I want you to write somewhere on your uh, notes just a word that comes to mind. Fill in the blanks. If everybody gave the way that I give, my church would flourish, fold, survive, but barely. Go ahead and write something down. Next fill-in. If everybody gave the way I give, God's work through Overlake would expand, contract, be on life support. Last fill-in. If I was the standard for giving at Overlake, 
If I was the one to stand up and say, this is what everybody should give. If I was the gold standard for giving it overlay, God's kingdom would advance mightily, retreat, limp along. Overlake, I have been your pastor for 14 years. It has been an incredible honor, and I love you with all my heart. So let me say clearly, you are too great a church to be nickel and diming, Jesus. You're too great a church. We need to wrestle with this issue of our financial faithfulness. And so what I want to do right now is I want to issue a challenge, and it's a challenge to everyone in the room. I know we're not at the same place in this room. I know we're at different places spiritually. I know we're at different places financially. But this is a challenge that every single person, wherever you are, I want you to receive this challenge, and I want you to take a step forward. Because there are some here you've never given to Jesus in your entire life. You've never put any money in the, you never put, you know, any coins in. You never put any dollars, like you just, you, you've never even thought that, that there is a, a financial way that we free our hearts from materialism in worship to the God who provides everything. You've never thought to yourself, there's a reason why Jesus talks more about money and giving than he ever does about heaven or hell. You, you, you've never thought that, and, and I'm not judging you. I'm saying maybe you're new in this faith journey. Maybe you're like my kids, and you just haven't wrestled with this stuff yet. And, and so I just, I want to say that maybe if that's where you are and you've never given at all, then my challenge to you as the not yet giver is that you would move from nothing to something. You would move from nothing to something. My challenge for the occasional giver, and there are many of you here that, that you give occasionally. You give when you got some money in your wallet. You give when you, you feel like, oh, you're a little up this month, and so you, you got extra and you give. My challenge for the occasional giver is that you would move from occasionally giving to a percentage. What that means is you actually plan how much you're going to give to Jesus. You actually kind of budget it in, and you, you take a thought, okay, this month and next month and, and all the course of this year, I'm going to give this percentage of my income. I'm going to give that to the Lord. And that percentage, that's between you and Jesus. Maybe you start at 2%, 3%, 4%, whatever it is. But you just say, hey, okay, I'm going to go from occasional to regular, and I'm going to come in at a certain percentage, and you plan that. Now, there's another group. It's the group that actually already does that. And you're already giving as regular givers. You're already giving as a percentage giver. Then for you, I want to challenge you to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. I want, I want to challenge you to go for the full 10%. And again, this is one of those challenges that God brings and, and Jesus affirms. And so we're just saying, hey, 10%, let's talk about what that could look like. By the way, there's a purpose for it. If you look on your notes, you'll see in Deuteronomy 14, 23, the purpose of tithing is what? To teach you always to put God first in your lives. So we put God first. He's first. He's best. And we want to show it in all areas of our life, including how it is that we manage our financial resources. And so we tithe. We bring that to the Lord. So that would be my challenge for those who give regularly, that you would move to a whole tithe. And then lastly, I want to talk to those who tithe. I really do. I, I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart how grateful I am to be on the journey with you. 
that you've gotten this issue. You need to recognize the incredible amount of support that you offer this ministry, that you provide for God's kingdom. It is an amazing thing to be in this with you, to feel like as a pastor, not only am I fully committed, not only are Jody and I fully committed, but there are so many others that are also committed with us. So from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. If everybody gave the way you give, God's kingdom through Overlake would flourish. Thank you very much for being where you are. But I want you to also know that, that, that so nobody's without a challenge. The, the Pharisees also, also tied, but they missed this heart piece. And so the heart piece I want to challenge you to is that you would be potential, that, that, that your challenge is to move from tithe to extravagance. That you'd, you would say to God, not only am I committed to giving the 10%, but I'm also committed to listening to you and giving whenever you prompt my heart. Giving wherever you prompt my heart. I want to make sure that I go after the more important things of the kingdom, like justice and mercy. And faith. So friends, these are my challenges. I think there's something here for every single person. At the end of the day, what it is about, and you might not believe this, and I get it, we could have a conversation, but at the end of the day, the reason why God tackles the issue of money is because he knows that money has the ability to become our master. And so this challenge for generosity, this challenge to giving towards God, it is a challenge that actually brings joy and blessing to the follower of Jesus. When we understand this principle, when we begin to give, when we begin to give with an open heart and open hand, then God is free to show us the blessings that come. He's free to shower our lives with his abundance. And by, it's by far better than anything materialism can provide. And, and, and I know it's hard to believe, but let me just look at uh, two verses here. They're on your outline. We'll close with these. Jesus is talking. He says, give and it will be given to you. Give and it will be given back. In other words, God's paying attention. So when you give, it's going to be given back to you. And then he says, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. Some of you are like, that sounds really messy. I'm not sure I'm in. So here's, here's what it, it means. It means in, in an agricultural society, they would deal in grain, they would deal in seed. And so this would be somebody receiving grain in a basket. And so what Jesus is saying is not only will there be grain poured into that basket abundantly, but it will also be pressed down and then shaken together so that all the air is gone, and then it will continue to be filled. So it's not only a full basket, but it will be running over into your lap. And, and for those who are in that farming agrarian society, it would have been a picture of lavish abundance poured out from heaven on their lives. That's what Jesus is saying. If you give, it'll be given back to you. This is how your Father God wants to bless your life. For the measure you use, he says, it will be measured to you. And then I want to follow up that verse from Malachi 3, where God says, bring the whole tithe. And then he says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. So friends, as your pastor, when I read those two verses, I, I did this this morning already. When I read those two verses, I pray them true for you. I pray these verses true in your life. That you and I will, will have an open heart towards the Lord, that we'll be openly generous toward the Lord, that we'll take a step of challenge today and we'll receive the kind of lavish blessing and abundance that God has for those who follow him, who take this aspect of, of their faith journey, seriously. So I know I brought a lot of challenge today, Overlake. Thanks for being with me in this. Here's what I want you to hear me say. 
This job of financial faithfulness is not someone else's responsibility. It's ours. Like, the idea is we don't call some kind of denominational head in Detroit and ask them to cut a check so that we can float the summer. Uh, I don't think anyone's calling Detroit for anything like that right now. So that's, that's not what it's all about. The idea is we are the ones who are the church, which means that we will support the ministry and mission of God's church at Overlake. And if we don't support his ministry and mission at Overlake, there is no ministry and mission at Overlake. That's the reality. I want to say clearly, Overlake, I believe in us. I believe in we. I know that we are a great church. So let's take a step forward in financial faithfulness. And let's follow Jesus joyfully as we do so. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray. So that question, I really do hope that it remains that question about if everybody gave the way that I give, if everybody approached generosity the way I approach it, how would God's ministry and mission flourish? You know, Jesus, we want to bring this whole thing and we want to land it with you immediately before our minds. We want to land with your incredible, outlandish, amazing love for each one of us. We want to recognize right now the way in which you have provided for us every single day of our life, the way in which you have blessed us time and time again in ways that we have actually not even recognized. We want to thank you for the way in which, because of your cross, because of your sacrifice and your resurrection, that we are now set free from the law, we are set free from sin, and we are set free from fear. And we are so thankful for that. We're thankful for your grace. We know that in you there is no shame, but there's only an invitation to continue the journey. And so we just say, Jesus, we love you. We praise your name. We lift your name. We rest all of this conversation squarely upon the unfailing, never-ending love of Jesus Christ. And we are so thankful for you. Praying all of this in your name. Amen.